open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy. We have made it to chapter 5, which is a great thing. Uh, loads of great things coming for you in this chapter. Um, and as you are turning there, let me give you fair warning to those of you who are not skilled at such things. Um, it is Valentine card season. Uh, that means that um, some of you, maybe wives, but maybe more husbands, uh, might need to pay attention. Uh, maybe fathers and mothers need to pay attention. Um, kind of a fun time of year to celebrate your loved ones. Now, Valentine's card are kind of a minefield to walk through and navigate. Um, one of the things that goes on is there's a competing, there's always competing values in life, right? Um, so efficiency and accuracy, those can be competing values, right? Think about the band. Uh, the band has a deadline called Sunday morning at 9 a.m. So accuracy and excellence uh, they practice and they work on it, but there's a deadline. There's something coming where they have to get to delivering what they're supposed to be doing, which is leading us in song. So efficiency and accuracy are always kind of competing values. Uh, this is true when it comes to Valentine's Day cards, uh, for sure. There are some people um, who are just the type that walk in, they read a card, they're like, yep, that'll do it. Boom, they're out. Are they more efficient or more accurate? They're really efficient, Right? Maybe they're lacking in the accuracy. Uh, others of you will go in, maybe you've already begun this process, and you read a card, and you read another card, you read another card, you read all the cards, you read them twice, none quite say what you want to do, so you go to another store, and you go to another store, and by the fourth store, you're wishing you were more of a poet. You wish you could say things in a better way, because you know what you want, you have this accuracy thing, but you're not very efficient. Let me have you look for a second at these little cute cutouts of hearts. If you are doing a craft this year, maybe in school, you will cut out some little red hearts. And as you cut out little red hearts, as you look at little red hearts, let me have that remind you this, remind you of this, that while it's efficient to make a whole bunch of hearts that look exactly the same, it's not accurate, right? Each heart that this might represent, this might represent a human soul. And each and every physical heart, each and every metaphorical heart is not the same. In fact, it's absolutely unique. Okay? So as you cut, cut hearts, and they all sort of look the same. Remember this, that people differ. And the point today is this. Here's the really, really, really big idea. That our love must fit the person and the occasion. Our love must fit the person and the occasion. That's what we're going to see from the text this morning. Fit is really, really important. And we're going to come back to that again and again today. So, one size does not fit all. This is true of clothes. This is true of cards. And this is true of our care in one another. Because this is true, tailor your love carefully and thoughtfully so that it fits. Think about what a tailor does. A tailor makes clothes that fit. How do you make sure something fits? What does a tailor do? Huh? They measure. 
That's right. A tailor will come and measure a person's body that they're trying to fit clothes to, right? And through learned skill, that tailor will make a fitted dress, a suit that fits just right, pants and shirts, belt sizes, whatever it might be. A tailor is is all about making sure that it fits. So tailor your love carefully. In fact, that word carefully is great. I don't think you have cared fully until you've actually given thought to who is in front of me. What is needed on this occasion? Because isn't it true uh, that I might be friends with someone? I am friends with Chuck. And what Chuck might need on one day is different than what Chuck needs in another day. So make sure that your love and care fits the person and the occasion. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. As I studied this week's passage and next week's passage, what I realized is this. They're a part one and a part two. The first verses of chapter five are a little bit of an over, overlay of a lot of things that are to come. Okay, so here's how we're going to break it down today. We're going to look at generational love and gender love this week. And then for, the next, for next week, we will talk a lot about widows. Widows is a class of vulnerable person that we should care for. And one size does not fit all for widows. And we're going to dive more into that next week. So I have my, one of my old wetsuits here, uh, and this is still in use. And I have this up here for a really specific reason, um, not to tempt your brain to go surfing in the middle of church. That's not what this is for, uh, or even get you thinking about that. Um, but rather this, wetsuits have this tendency um, to fail at some really, really specific points. Um, and this wetsuit is certainly no different. Where wetsuits tend to fail is right here along these. Mom, what are these called right here? Just in clothing. Two pieces of clothing come together. My mom sews. I thought this was a softball. Seams. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, mom. I'm not trying to. Mom's like, don't do that to me. Um, Wetsuits tend to fail at the seams, right? It's a natural fail point where two things are coming together. Two different parts of it are coming together. That's where a wetsuit fails. People are hearing music, correct? Just, I, again, I just want to make sure on that. It happens every month or so, and I just want to make sure if it ever happens where they're not, don't lie to me. Say, no, no one else hears that, Dave, and we'll know. It might be the angels coming to take me home right while I'm preaching, which wouldn't be a bad way to go. This wetsuit, back to wetsuits and seams, okay? Back, back to here. Uh, this wetsuit has had its seams restitched. O'Neill, years and years and years after tons of abuse by my children, I sent it back to them, and for free, they restitched and stood behind their work. I want to point out that the church has its seams as well. Churches tend to fail along the seams. What are the seams of a church? The seams of a church are where two different parts come together. That's a weak point. That's a potential tear point for a church. Now, here's what happens in a wetsuit. Um, This is a really awkward spot, but let me show you something. There is a hole right here on this wetsuit. Can I just tell you that when there's a hole, even of this size right here, it will gradually become more and more ineffective. The way a wetsuit works is it lets freezing cold water in, 
it traps it, and your body heat heats up that, that water inside. It ends up being like a hot tub in there. So you can stay out there for hours and hours and hours if it fits and if the seams aren't broken. So think about this, church. The church, when it breaks its seams, and by the way, this is sort of a hidden seam. You don't see that one right away. You might pull this thing on, get out in the water, and go, why am I freezing cold? The church can leave you cold. The church can leave you ineffective when it is tearing apart at the seams. So here's the message. Guard the seams. What are the seams of the church? We're going to look at them today. Okay? They center around our differences. When two different parts that are being formed into one whole, where those places come together. Okay? So think about economics. People from one economy class, another economy class. The Bible speaks to that. Think about visible gifts, invisible gifts. Think about Jew, Gentile. That's racial, but also cultural. A host of traditions and worldviews that are clashing and coming together. In a few short words, God is going to instruct us through Paul to Timothy through the generations, write to us about the generations, old and young, and about gender, male and female. Okay? So keep that in mind. This is what we are working on this morning. I'm going to leave that wetsuit right there for a second. Matt showed us last week that dividing and dismissing people who are older than us and who are younger than us is sinful, it's selfish, and it's as old as dirt. He had a slide up there talking about generational differences, and it was written around the same time that this letter called First Timothy was written. This has been going on for a really, really long time. Another way that sin divides, of course, is along the seam of gender, male and female. And what we'll see today, guys, is this. That is not God's way. All right, so one size does not fit all. Let's look at this. Generations. Let's look at the generations first. First Timothy chapter 5, first couple verses. Okay, follow along with me in your Bible. I want your Bible open so you can look at this. And I want you to look for, potentially circle in your Bible, the family language being used. All right? Everyone got it? First Timothy Chapter 5. Nod your head if you're with me. You see that? All right, we're there. I see nods. Thank you. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Huge headline. What is God's way? Treat believers as family. Treat believers as family. Why? Because that's what they are. It matters how we relate to one another. You have someone in your life, you don't need to point right now, okay? Do you have someone in your life, maybe you just spent Christmas with them, Thanksgiving with them, but someone in your life that says, well, that's just the way I am, deal with it. Or maybe you've made the excuse for the person. You know what? Someone comes to you with a hurt that they have caused, and you say, well, that's just how they are. 
You know what love does? Love bends to the needs of others. Christian, I pray over time you will stop using that as an excuse. Well, that's just the way I am. That sounds like you're trying to make an excuse for not having Christ formed in you. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say, well, that's just the way it is, deal with it. Love bends to the occasion. Could Jesus be big, bold, lion-like, strong, and fierce? Absolutely. Can Jesus be tender and patient and listening and not give the whole truth? Absolutely. Why? Because love bends to the needs of others according to the need of the moment. So it matters how we relate to one another. I love wearing shirts that start off great conversations. And sometimes the more bizarre, the better. Um, Here's one that came up by prayer. Rich Henderson, during pastor's prayer, prayed this, and a t-shirt idea popped into my mind. I thought, how great would it be to make this t-shirt? I have a new family with a perfect dad. Like wearing that shirt, people are like, you have a perfect dad? Tell me about him. I'm like, all right. My new family is right here. Why is your spiritual family even more important than your biological or home family? Here's why. It will last forever. Now, praise God, some of my home family is also here in my church family. I have a brand new family with a perfect dad. That'd be a cool t-shirt idea. Here's another one. I thought of this while reading the scriptures sometime. But just thinking about, you know, instead of BFFs forever, that's a true statement. Like in, in Christ, you can be best friends forever. Um, but how about this? Siblings by sacrifice. Two people that aren't related. But now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we're brothers and sisters. We're brought into family. So maybe you and your community group could all wear this to church one day, right? Siblings by sacrifice. Or maybe for the turkey bowl, this will be your, your jersey next year. Here's the point, is that family is really what we are. I couldn't not wear this shirt today. This week, while wearing this shirt, I washed it, um, I had someone from Happy Lemon, while buying boba for my wife, she's addicted, pray for her, um, and, and the young woman behind the counter says, I like your shirt. Doesn't always lead to great, let me tell you the four spiritual laws, but you know what? Many, many times I've gotten into conversations about this. In our family, it works well because we have some adopted uh, bloodlines in our family now, and that's beautiful and people see that, but then the spiritual is sitting right in front of us. So here's the point this morning. We don't just proclaim this. We don't just believe this. We don't just sing together collectively with one voice, God, you're our father. We live like it. We actually believe it. And we show we believe it by our actions. You're going to get to write this down, I think, two more times. I'll repeat it. But write this down. I'll have the screen for you later. But your church life feeds your home life. Your church life feeds your home life and vice versa. It works the other way. Your home life feeds your church life. So while driving this morning, I told Eli this. Eli comes with me almost every single Sunday morning. We're the first two on campus. And I said, man, Betty, I love that what you're doing is you're exercising the muscle that on Sunday mornings, you serve your church family. What a great muscle to exercise. And as a man with your family, 
What if that just continues, this tradition that says, all week long I serve at home, I serve my family, but on Sundays there's something special. I come early and I joyfully, sacrificially serve my church family. We have little prayers that we drive. They're short because they live a half mile away. We have little prayers that we pray on the way to church. Here's this morning's. God, whether a few people come or a ton of people come, we're serving every one of them with, with, with pure joy. I bring that up because of this. What we do at church, we don't leave our best behavior at church. We don't take our best ideas. We get them from church. We go, man, that is so true. Next week, I'll put that in practice again. We bring that home with us. And all week long, if you're really devoted to your family, you're really dialed in, you're really full of prayer, you're very watchful, you're very engaged, and then you come to church and you view Sundays as a, as a morning off, church, you're missing it. Let your home life feed your church life. And let your church life feed your home life. The series, uh, oh, nope, we're not there yet. A different series um, called Heading. If you're newer to the church, I would encourage you to go back and listen to some, to some uh, messages around this idea of heading. Heading is a nautical or aviation term. It's the idea of where are we pointing. And at our church, you will hear three words often, simple, family, and gifts. Those three words summarize what we are focused on. Um, here's, here's one of them is family, and I have it sort of highlighted in red. When you hear the word family around here, here's what we decided years ago as we prayed and said, God, what kind of church do you want us to be? There's a lot of options. Remember freedoms and fences? God, the fences for a New Testament church are super wide and varied. What's our lane? What do you want us to focus on? Of all we could do, what must we do? And as elders, we came back, and as a church, we signed on. We are going to live as family. We're going to grab that biblical metaphor for the church and really press into it. But not only that, we live in an area that is exporting crazy ideas about the nuclear family and what makes up the nuclear family. We are going to fiercely, boldly, faithfully proclaim God's plan for the family. And we're going to get that from the scriptures. So that's what that means. So your church life feeds your home life. Do you see why this picture of a family dinner table is so fitting for 1 Timothy? Here it is. Treat older men like your father. When you have to rebuke them, don't rebuke them. Encourage them. Figure out how you would talk to your dad. Older women as mothers. Younger men and women as younger brothers and sisters. Church, this goes way beyond a couple of places in 1 Timothy. In fact, I was uh, once in a while, I encourage you, go, go listen to or read 1 Timothy all, all the way through in one setting. It doesn't take that long. But it kind of highlights where we are, kind of orients us. In the very second verse, Paul writes to Timothy, my true child in the faith. He's writing to him as a spiritual father to a child in the faith. So Paul is telling Timothy how to get along. Why? Because God is for great relationships. I'm not going to have you raise your hands because it should be everyone. But if I were to just ask the question, how many of you struggle 
in relationships. All of us should go, me, right? Like just right away. And if not, I'll just ask you next week. And if not, the next week. At some point pretty soon, if you're honest with yourself, like, yeah, that's me. Why? Because we all struggle with relationships. Uh, I grew up going to Chuck E. Cheese, playing whack-a-mole at Chuck E. Cheese. Anyone tracking with me? All right. Relationships can be like whack-a-mole at Chuck E. Cheese, right? You're, you're just kind of cruising through life, and just when you smooth things over with your mom, your brother pops his mouth off, and that's like him popping his head up. And you've got to tend to that relationship. And right while you're mid-swing here, your best friend tweets something about you that isn't very nice. And you're like, what? You've got to tend to this. And by the time you tend to this, it's mom again. Then it's your teacher. Then it's your boss and your neighbor and your brother again. And if you've got more than one brother or sister, man, it's a full-time job. Whack-a-mole at Chuck E. Cheese. That's what relationships can feel like, right? Man, it's a full-time job. It's difficult. We all need help. And it never ends. Ends. That ought to lead us to prayer, people. If God is for great relationships, we either eventually have to mail it in, say, I'm tired, I can't do this on my own, or we let that preach to our heart. I'm tired, I can't do this on my own. That's the good news of the gospel. We say, God, help. Help form this in me. I know that you're for great relationships. Oh, it helps to know that we're not alone and that God is for great relationships. We say this around here quite a bit, but families are God's greenhouse greenhouse for growth. You're all, not my family. Yes, your family. Your family is God's greenhouse for growth. Think about it. You take different kinds of people. You put them in a box for a couple of decades called your house. You shake. You turn up the heat. You have a couple decades go through, and then you chill and you serve, right? That's, that's what goes on in the family. Different personalities, different wishes, different ideas about what's good and true and wrong and hurtful. And you put them in this confined space. Parents, can I encourage you for a second? Right now, presently, Steve, as you're trying to navigate standing up here looking somewhat put together while your child is doing a cartwheel in your arms, very impressive, by the way, you didn't drop him, you are raising up the next generation of Christians. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, community group mates, friends, church members, We collectively, we are raising up the next generation of Christians, of church leaders, of church doers, of church prayers. So what a privilege, what a privilege that it's on us, parents, particularly you while they're in your home. It is on you to coach, to encourage, to remind and remind again and remind again with all patience to rebuke when necessary, to do all of this, to train, to instruct, to model. Isn't that a privilege? It's our privilege, church, to be raising up the next generation of Christians and celebrate them uh, as they take steps towards maturity. This is also true. The family is great, uh, but it's hard. Let me get back to that one. I went, I went ahead one. Family is great, but it's hard. I want you to think of your ideal uh, 
let's say weeknight, let's take tomorrow night. What is your ideal weeknight like? I, I decided to jot some of my things down. Here it is. I come home. My kids are as excited to see me as my dog is. No one in my home has pooped where they aren't supposed to. No one has rummaged through my trash, not the dogs or the kids on both of those accounts, or the bird. My beloved bride of my youth, she is smiling, she is relaxed, she's full of vigor, she's ready for an incredible evening together. Homework has been done for the night. There was no reminding needed. There was no help needed. They just did it. Backpacks put away. Our meal is hot, ready, and delicious. The conversation around the dinner table is exhilarating. Each person is taking turns when they talk. They're speaking at appropriate volumes. They're speaking the appropriate amount of time according to my rigorous standard. They're showing their deep, intense love and care for their siblings and their glorious parents by giving full, undivided attention when each one speaks and talks about their day. Where does the time go? The meal lasts quite a while because we're all enjoying it so much. At the end of the meal, the kids cheerfully say, We've got cleanup! And they usher mom and dad into the sitting room. And we sit there and we just bask in the joy and glow of our kids with full teamwork and niceness, getting everything done, put away, tip-top shape. Now, back to reality. Ponder, ponder reality. That's mine. That's like just a little snapshot of mine. What would yours be? Here's, here's what I would say to this. Everything, every single thing I just said has happened, at least once in our house. But it doesn't happen all on the same night. Amen? I mean, it, t- it may take a year to get through everything I just said. Sometimes, several of those, we're like at 70%, 80%, like a lot of that's going on. And we even call it out God's goodness. We say, guys, isn't it amazing? When we go with God's plan, like, like here's what has gone on tonight. There's been tremendous patience. There's been tremendous care for one another. Isn't this good? And everyone goes, yeah, this is good. And we all try to lock that moment in our mind. God, help us to walk in this. This is what it means to dwell well in the house of God, not just barely survive in the house of God. What keeps us growing and going as a, as a family is that we, at home, we at this church, we keep turning to God. We keep saying, God, instruct us. We keep submitting to God. We keep following his plan for when we fail. Why? Because families are hard. Why? Because relationships are whack-a-mole and they never end. Because seams tear apart and God's shown us, God has given us, how do we stitch that back up? How do we repair broken relationships? One of the things God instructs us is this, is to not make an idol out of the ideal. If you make an idol out of the ideal, you will be robbed of joy and contentment around your dinner table. I promise you. You worship the idol of how it could be and should be, you'll be robbed of contentment and joy. 
And not only will you feel it, the people around you will feel it. You know what else is true? Your home life feeds and informs your church life. Your church. I'll tell you what drives many pastors away. It's like a splinter in their mind. They're like, God, I know all that the bride of Christ can be. Why is that not true in my church? And they either turn it on themselves in self-despair or they turn it on their people and say, God, it's these people you gave me. Maybe I'll go to a different church. Try it there. Pastors get to the end of the career with a sad realization, wow, uh, I moved from church to church to church to church. I was worshiping. I was committing idolatry over the ideal. You'll be robbed of your church family, the joy and contentment of this church, if you worship at the idea of what is ideal. So Paul is sketching out Uh, how to lead and love in the local church. He's saying this, one size does not fit all when it comes to interpersonal relationships. Our care must be fitting. We tailor our words and our actions to individuals. We know our audience. If you ever give a talk of any kind, I happen to know one person, Sharon gives talks all the time. She's a teacher. If you're a teacher or a pastor or you're giving a talk for an assignment, it behooves you to figure out who you're talking to. Know your audience. Know who you're speaking to. Paul is, a, is, is writing to a pastor. Catch this. A major theme he's trying to give to young Timothy, who's a pastor in a local church, is this is your family. Treat them like family. Let me tell you another thing that's going horribly wrong in the Western American church. Church leaders and pastors in particular get confused as to who they are speaking to each and every Sunday. A congregation are not filled with clients. A congregation is not filled with customers. A congregation is filled with Christians. And Christians are family The Bible puts pastors squarely in the middle as a fellow sheep, a fellow follower in the midst of a family and says, lead and love and care and protect and teach and lay your life down in that context. And the moment, pastor, you start treating people like customers, doing market research to see what they want and how to get them here and begin using them to your ends, the the, the church goes horribly, horribly wrong. I want you to see by the word rebuke. Look at your Bible again and and think about the word rebuke. We are tipped off to expect hardship in relationships. Just think about why would you need to rebuke someone? You need to rebuke someone because they're doing something wrong. They're off track. They're going the wrong way. Timothy would have... um, Paul is saying to Timothy that he would have to embrace what is true in all relationships, that they can be unpleasant. Timothy would have to correct and counter older Christians. In a nutshell, he'd have to disappoint for the gospel. Timothy would learn he'd have to disappoint for the gospel. In a book written way back in 1881, The Portrait of a Lady... Henry James writes the following. I'm going to put on a British voice. Don't pay attention to the British voice. Just know that that means that I'm quoting the excerpt from this book. Okay, here we go. 
And you can't always please yourself. You must sometimes please other people. That I admit, you're very ready to do. Ah, but there's another thing that's still more important. You must often displease others. You must always be ready for that. You must never shrink from it. You think you can escape disagreeable duties by taking romantic views. That's your great illusion, my dear. But you can't. You must be prepared on many occasions in life to please no one at all, not even yourself. (laughs) All right, I'm back. No more British guy. Listen to this. Here it is. Displeasing yourself and others comes with the call of Jesus Christ. This is what he means when he says, leave father and mother. Count me as most important. Self-love and approval from others are treasures that fade. And those are treasures that must be set down to fully grasp the treasure of Christ. Self-love and approval from other people. Is it a good trade? It's a great trade. You'll never be disappointed in it. Set self-love down, set approval from other people down, and pick up Christ. It's a great trade, but it's a hard trade. It's a hard thing to set those down. By giving instructions on how to handle it, Paul signals warning that it's coming. And the solution is this. Treat that older man like a father. Treat that older woman like a mother. Don't be sharp. Don't be demanding. Certainly don't belittle. Rather, appeal to them. Encourage them. Remind them. But do it with respect. There's a way to remind that's really belittling. I already told you this. We have a line in our house that says this. uh, Once more with respect. You can say what you're saying, child, but you're speaking to mom or dad. Let's try that again with respect. And our kids know. That's a do-over. Oh, that's right. And much of the time, our kids go, sorry, like that's not what I'm trying to communicate. My face was not talking to my mouth. Here we go. Let me try it again. And we do it. We go, great. And we we just kind of move on. Once more with respect. By the way, older men, older women in this church, I give you the freedom. If I am ever speaking to you and I say something and you go, gosh, this little punk, if I, oh. <sighs> say a little prayer. And you can remind me of this. You can say, hey, Dave, I really do want to hear you. Um, you said one time in a sermon, once more with respect. You know what? I'll try to remember. I'll try. uh, You know what? I'm sorry. Let me come at this a different way. Because that's my heart. My heart is I want to treat you like my mom, like my dad. I'm not going to pander and cater to just say, well, you're older than me. You must be right. There are times you're wrong. There are times you're off base. There are times I will be called to correct older people. But man, I better do it with respect, not demanding or sharp. He goes on with younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So church, once again, here's another opportunity to write this down. Healthy home relationships feed healthy church relationships. Where do we get to practice this? All week long in our homes. 
By way of illustration and proving that he practiced what he preaches, I want you to just consider Paul for a moment. Older Paul is writing to younger Timothy. Throughout this letter, there is instruction, warning, uh, commands, and encouragements. We already see that Paul is Timothy's spiritual father. And both men are modeling for us the ideas and the commands found in these verses. Think about Paul. He's taking great care, great time, great thought, great energy to write to Timothy. Personally, specifically. Timothy, at this point in his journey, has very specific needs. Paul doesn't just grab a form letter and mail it off to him. Hmm, this Valentine looks good. That one ought to serve. Timothy's younger. I'll just give it to this. No. It's specific to Timothy, who's leading in Ephesus. Now take Timothy for his part. He's the younger one. Timothy is receptive. He's humble. He's hungry to receive input from an older man who's been there and done that. Paul is eager to be with him. In fact, Paul seems fueled by Timothy's enthusiasm, by Timothy being quick to want to learn and grow. How do I know this? The Bible tells me. Flip over to Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2. I want you to look at this. There's a lot of other places we see Paul and Timothy's relationship sort of fleshed out. We kind of get to see what they're like. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, he writes this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Same Timothy. Look at verse 20. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. Isn't verse 20 powerful? I have no one else like him. How does he know that? It's been proven over time. So Timothy, catch this. Who's Timothy? He's a one-of-a-kind teammate to a one-of-a-kind Christian. How many Christians are there like Paul? I mean, God used him in absolutely fantastic ways. And a one-of-a-kind sidekick, teammate, child in the faith to Paul is this guy, Timothy. Church, they are modeling what this looks like. What does it look like to have an, an older man and a younger man in a relationship? What we see is that loving the generations well builds up the church both young and old, inexperienced and uber-experienced, benefit. I'm celebrating Lucas right now, who's sitting in the back of the room. Matt and Andres and myself and the entire elder board would say this. He's a joy to invest in because he's hungry to receive it. And we say this all the time. There's mutual building up. There are things I need to learn from Lucas. There are things Lucas needs to learn from me. And so it's a picture that we get right here from the scriptures. All right, let's move on. Love the genders well. What does that mean? Well, it means that men and women are different. And we can come apart at the seams for that. Or we can joyfully celebrate 
that men and women together form this image of God that's unstoppable. And in the church, we ought to be speaking into this in culture in ways loud and clear and so beautiful uh, and different from what we see around us. Becky sent me this clip the other day um, of the difference between a man and a woman hanging a picture in the home. And the guy goes over with his tools, and he's measuring. He takes a measurement from here to here. It's all kind of sped up. He finds the exact middle. He marks it. He comes back with his little laser tool. He finds it. He has all the proper tools, and he finds the exact right spot to hang the picture. And he goes back, and he goes, done. Then it shows the woman. You know what the woman does? Not that. She doesn't do it like that. She's coming to hang the same picture. She walks over and she eyeballs it. She puts it where it is. She's holding it up with her knee. She's taking, I don't even know what she's using as a tool. It's not the tool that's supposed to be used. She bangs the nail in. She hangs it up. She measures, she steps back and walks away. Men and women are different. Here's why this is particularly funny. This week, we had some drywall that needed to be cut to push our refrigerator back. Do you know who did the job? Becky. You know Becky used? a meat cleaver, and a hammer. (laughs) And she rocked it. I'm like, hey, whatever gets the job done. (laughs) Becky is far more handy with those kind of things than I am. Uh, But that clip totally nailed what went on in our home this last week. Men and women are gloriously different. We already looked at this in this letter, that, uh, that, that men and women matter. It matters that we're different. The Winter Olympics are here, and we're thrilled about it in our home. At least me and Becky are. I think our kids are already sick of watching the Olympics. They want to go back to Encanto on a Friday night, but we watched opening ceremonies. As we watch the Olympics, in a hundred different subtle ways, you will see the glorious difference between men and women. It is gloriously good that these two know who they are and that they're not interchangeable in their roles and their responsibilities. Men and women in the church, hear me. Masculine strength is great. And it carries with it certain responsibilities. It's not evil. And the grace and beauty that characterize femininity are great and good. Are women strong? Of course. Is it most often in different ways than men? Of course. And that's a great thing. Already in 1 Timothy, there have been specific instructions for men and women. See chapter 2. Here's what's going on in our uh, world right now. In the name of inclusion, gender is being downplayed. So often people will just talk about humans as people, as humans. And they won't want to attach male or female to it. But no, God has gifted the world with people as male and female as he sees fit. This is for our good and for his glory, always. So that means that it matters how you relate as male and female to those who are your same gender and those who are your counterpart gender. Number two, in the name of tolerance, gender is being confused. Gender is being spoken of as if it's complicated and only understood by the enlightened. 
This is going on all around. It's going on in our schools right now. It's going on in foster care training. It's going on in culture. It's going on in talking heads on your TV and on your phone screens. But here's what I want to submit to you. At birth around the world today, parents are celebrating a very non-confusing truth. It's a boy! It's a girl! There's no third option. No one's confused. And you know what? Always, hear me, always, whether it's a boy or it's a girl, it is cause for shouting and dancing and extreme celebration. Love the genders well. Church, one size does not fit all. Just like in your family, it matters how you treat your sisters and your brothers as a brother or a sister. Equally valuable, but beautifully different. Care fully, completely, thoughtfully, intentionally for one another. Holds true for mothers and fathers as well. A healthy home feeds a healthy church. What you are learning and seeing modeled here, take the very best of it and bring it home with you and practice it as an act of worship all week long. And what God is showing you and and stirring up in you in your home, bring that to your church and let that be just this driving, ongoing cycle. I absolutely celebrate that NBC has the generations and the genders. We always have. We have been a church of grandparents, adults, teens, kids, and babies, always. By God's grace. We haven't steered and said, let's try to make sure we always have that. But you know what? That has been a prayer of mine. God, far be it from me to be a church planner who has everyone look exactly like me. Or that I'm the old wise sage and everyone's younger. And one day we realize, Dave, we need someone way older than you. You know what the heck you're talking about. So God has always gifted us the generations. Again, for our great good and his great glory. Look at this French saying. If youth had but the knowledge, if age had but the power. Church, where there is mutual respect and where there is mutual affection, the wisdom and experience of age can cooperate with the strength and the enthusiasm of youth to the benefit of both. Period. I want you to right now look around the room and I just want you to find someone older than you. Okay? There's there is factually someone who can't do that in this room. We don't know who it is. Okay? But there is someone who's like, can't do it. Pretend. All right, so, but the rest of us, find someone older than you, okay? I just look at them for a second. Get their, get their masked face in your mind. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think in your mind right now, I need you and you need me. You just find that person. You could do this every Sunday. You could walk in. As you walk in, you go, God, I'm going to find an older person today and I'm going to remind myself that I need that person. And they need me. Would you make it happen?
Now, look around and find someone younger than you. Now, again, factually, there's someone in this room who's like, I can't do it. I'm the youngest one here. Okay? But find someone younger and then do the same exercise. I want their little masked face in your mind, and I want you to say, I need you, and you need me. Church, this little practice could revolutionize and launch us forward even more. I wanted Matt to give that teaser for prayer champions, because isn't this a beautiful picture of how to implement this in really practical terms? To have older people sacrificially praying for other people in their church who are younger than them. I'll tell you what's gone on when we've done efforts like this in the past. What do younger people start doing? They start praying for the older people that are praying for them. Say nothing but good comes from that. I'm going to hit pause right here. If I could have the band, come on up. Where this goes is not just love the generations well, those older than you, those younger than you, not just love the genders well, those of your same gender, those of your opposite gender. But where this goes for a whole slew of verses is love the vulnerable well. And very specifically, with some incredible, practical wisdom that we can implement as a church, he's talking about widows. The thing I want you to prep for for next week is this. Two times, he says, those who are truly widows, those who are truly widows, what he's doing is this. One size does not fit all. Just because you're a widow, just because you're a vulnerable person, one size does not fit all. There's actually helping that can hurt people. Don't do it. Don't go there. So we're going to get into that next week um, uh, in, in force. So let me close in prayer. God, thank you for your wisdom. God, it's wisdom for the ages. It's wisdom for us. It works in Ephesus a long, long time ago. And it works in the Bay Area today. God, we trust you. We submit to you. I pray there would be beautiful, worshipful, mutual submission to one another. A part of what it means, God, that love bends to the needs of other people. doesn't mean we bend the truth. We hold on to the truth. But because of the truth, we move towards the hurting. We move toward those who are different than us. And God, we let our speech be fitting according to the person and the moment. We let our actions be fitting according to the need and the person and the moment. And God, this takes the great wisdom of the Holy Spirit with us every single step of the way. God, give us this day, this hour, the grace and wisdom we need to live and function as a family at church. And God, help us as we drive off campus today to bring this home to where we live. We love you so much. We thank you for your intentional, thoughtful, perfect care of us. We trust you. Amen.